like you to meet Jack Torrance. Jack is uh, going to take care of the Overlook for us this winter. It's, it's not a very demanding job. The only thing that can get a bit trying up here during the winter is a tremendous sense of isolation. It just happens to be exactly what I'm looking for. How about your wife and son? How do you think they'll take to it? Mom, they really want to go and live in that hotel for the winter. We're all going to have a real good time. I don't suppose they uh, told you anything in Denver about the tragedy we had up here during the winter of 1970? I don't believe they did. Is there something bad here? When we first came up here, I thought it was kind of scary. There's a lot of things happen right here in this particular hotel, and that all of them is good. Whenever you come in here and interrupt me, you're breaking my concentration. You're distracting me. Did you know, Mr. Torrance, that your son is attempting to bring an outside party into this situation? You did this to me! There's someone else in the hotel with us. There's a crazy woman in one of the rooms. She tried to strangle Danny! Great party, isn't it? thought that it was what the old timers used to call cabin fever kind of claustrophobic reaction which can occur when people are shut in together over long periods of time you can rest assured mr Ullman, that's not going to happen with me hello and welcome to the spooky screen podcast a podcast where five childhood friends get together to discuss and debate horror movies Tonight, we'll be talking about the horror movie, The Shining. But before we get into that, let me first introduce my co-hosts. Steven. Hey, guys. David. Hey. Nick. How you doing? Noah. Hello. And I'm Johnny. Here's Johnny. Let's begin. Let's begin. The Shining is a movie about Jack Torrance, played by Jack Nicholson, who becomes the winter caretaker at the isolated Overlook Hotel in Colorado, hoping to cure his writer's block. He settles in along with his wife, Wendy, played by Shelley Duvall, and his son, Danny, played by Danny Lloyd, who is plagued by psychic premonitions. And as Jack's writing goes nowhere and Danny's visions become more disturbing, Jack discovers the hotel's dark secrets and begins to unravel into a homicidal maniac hellbent on terrorizing his family. We're going to start with our first question. We do a series of five questions, and the first one is always describe the movie in a single sentence. And then we're actually going to do a bonus question today, which is, in addition to that, uh, what do you think the movie is about in a single sentence? So again, describe the movie in a single sentence. And what do you think the movie is about? It could be one word. It could be a couple words. But what what's the uh, concept of the movie, I guess? So uh, David, why don't you go first? All right. So The Shining is in one single sentence, a story about a family isolated in a haunted hotel haunting in quotes or haunted in, in air quotes and the horrible uh, nightmare that follows that sort of cabin fever scenario. And what do I think the shining is about? Um, I think the shining is part about obsession and partly about um, like abuse. Deep. Mm. 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 <laughs> Mm, right. <laughs> like, oh. like, a, like, a, like an abusive relationship. No, no, I, I got yeah, 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 no, it. No, it's good. Yeah. Um, wow. Anyone want to go next? I'll go next. Okay, Stephen. So my one sentence description of The Shining is an aspiring author experiences such bad writer's block it drives him to try and kill his family. I think The Shining is trying to depict an endless cycle of violence, trauma, and repression. Nick, do you want to go next? Yeah, I'll go. I'll say that The Shining is a movie about a man who unravels because he's stuck in isolation. And I will say that I think the movie's about the demons of one's, the demons of an abuser catching up with him. Mm, that's good. I like that, Nick. Noah. My single sentence description is a haunted hotel hates the traditional American family. And. What I think the movie means is I think it's about breaking the cycle of violence in from an abusive father. Seems seems like we have a pattern forming. Yeah. <laughs> I like it, though. Um, 
so my single sentence is um it is a movie about too much family time is not good for you <laughs> um but i think you guys i think you guys basically already summarized it in in enough ways that people get the picture but I, I think it's about when uh, selfish obsession destroys relationships. You know, some places are like people. Some shine and some don't. I guess you could say the Overlook Hotel here has something about it that's like shining. So let's go to the next question, which is maybe a little more interesting. Did you like it or not? And then explain if you did. Um, Steven. Yeah. Did you like it or did you not like it? And tell me why. Okay. So I, I'm just curious. Um, did, was this the first time you saw? Yeah, this I was movie? just gonna say this is the fourth, this is the fourth time that I've seen this movie, and um, I think you could tell by now that I I really do love this movie, um, and the reason why I love it is because you can watch this film and be be absolutely terrified. So it, it works on that level as a horror film. It terrifies you because the music. Uh, the visuals, um, the character developments, the acting are all phenomenal. But at the same time, the film itself is so dense. It, it's, it's got so much happening underneath so many layers that, you know, all of us can watch this film and take away five different interpretations of what the film is trying to say. And that's why I'm really excited to dive into this movie with this conversation. Um, but that's that's the main reason why I love this film is because people can watch it and have their own takes and then kind of debate and try to prove their point to the others. Noah, did you like it or did you not? Okay, so this is my first time ever seeing The Shining. Um, you really had never you know, seen you, it before? I'm surprised no, I've by that for you. I know. I've never seen it before. It's kind of one of those movies that like you hear about all the time. And then you don't watch it. And you just don't watch it. You feel like you've watched it because you just... I, I'm in the same it. boat. This will be my first too, no? And I think I don't watch movies that are made before I'm born usually. Just it's like a, yeah. it's like a weird subconscious rule. Yeah. I, I, I kind of knew that this movie was supposed to be somewhat good, you know, because it's on... Whenever I look up the top horror movies, it's usually number one or number two. So I went into it kind of with that type of expectations, like high expectations, and it surpassed them, which was surprising. Like, I, I love this movie way more than I thought I did. Maybe because of the time we're living in, you know, I kind of relate it to the family a bit with the being being stuck in a space for too long with your family. But it's not just that. It was like everything about it. Like, I loved the sets. I loved that that maze was real. I loved how real the hotel felt. I love how it, you, like, just the, you could feel the isolation and the coldness mm -hmm. by just watching it. Like, I've never experienced that in a movie where you actually experience what the characters were feeling mm -hmm. by just watching it. Like, I, I compared it to, like, I'm going to say this word wrong, but you know, like a, a, a mural, like a big painting mm -hmm. on the side of a building that, like, just depicts something? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it, it was like that, like a, a huge painting, like a huge mural of, of the basic story of what the movie is, like a, a man going crazy and killing his and trying to kill his family. Yeah. Right. But when you look into the details of that painting, you'll see that that painting's made up of millions of tiny other little paintings that all tie together to that one theme. It's just like you could watch you could watch any part of this movie and find like intentional things that Stanley Kubrick put mm -hmm. in. And you could just t you could just take it apart and just you know feast on it for months. It just feels like a movie that's not made anymore. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, it does. I, I completely understand. It, it, it feels yeah. monumental that like it might never it happen truly again. It does feel yeah. Monumental is a good word. I don't want to be dramatic, but it, it was a joy to watch. Yeah. And and I was surprised that it had a happy ending. For how horrible the rest of the movie felt, you know how isolating and cold. And empty it felt it has was it was it was it happy in my opinion it was interesting we could talk about that yeah um let's keep going because i think Noah no no took up the air in the room he got him all there oh. no that was good though. That was beautiful <laughs> i'm sorry i had a little tear okay. I, I got really i got really no, I'm excited super about excited this that you liked it noah and i'm well anyways i'll let everyone let's hear what everyone says yeah. um nick 
What did you think of the movie? And don't let Noah's moving monologue dissuade you. <laughs> um, like if you hated it, you should just get kicked off this podcast. I didn't like it. I mean, oh, I didn't hate uh, it, but I didn't my like man. it. I've seen this movie once before growing up. And I remember not be. I remember hearing about it and being told like, "Yeah, this will scare the pants off of you." And I remember watching it the first time, and it didn't scare the pants off of me. Um, and I went into it this time. I was like, "Well, I'm older. I can understand more. Maybe I'll get more out of it." Um, and I was. It's not a bad movie. It just takes so long to pick mm. up. <laughs> like, oh my! I was sitting for, through the first hour, and I'm like, for the first hour, honestly, I thought the acting was a little cringe. I hated the scene transitions of things just randomly happening, and then Tuesday or a month later, and I was like, this it's so disorientating. I I, I couldn't stand that. Um, the way they would transition certain scenes, like they would just slowly fade one scene into the next for no reason when they could have just panned the camera to another shot. Yeah, um, I, it sounded like the movie was driving you crazy a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, when the movie finally picks up, it does get good, but I did not appreciate how long it took me to Nick, get there. Nick, when did you think it picked up? What, when would you say that was? Uh, I would say it picked up the moment at... I, I would guess I would say it picked up maybe when Danny got uh, attacked by the lady in 237. Okay, yeah, I actually thought you were going to say that. Naked lady? Yeah. Naked no-name lady? <laughs> That's one of the fun things about this movie. Not the naked lady, just that the, she has no name. <laughs> <laughs> Not the fact that she's naked. Sorry, just that came out wrong. No um, David, what, what are your thoughts? Did you like it or not? This has to be, I like, apart from being one of my top favorite horror movies, this is one of my favorite just all-time movies. I think this is probably like the 15th or 16th time I've seen this movie. Wow. It was one of those movies wow. that um, I got introduced. My mom loved uh, renting movies from the library. So I used to see like lots of different types of movies, foreign films, old films, new films, whatever the library had. And I remember she rented it. And my mom doesn't really like horror movies. So I didn't think it was a horror movie. And But she was like, oh, this is a classic movie. So we watched it. And it's one of those movies that I honestly can just like put on and just watch. And it's 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 one of those movies that really never gets boring to me. You can never get tired of watching it no matter how many times. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's just like the craftsmanship is so evident there. Like it just looks like something that somebody like painstakingly took like a fine tooth comb over and over. Like, I don't know, like uh, like what Noah and Stephen were talking about, about like the acting and the atmosphere. It's just, you know, it's just all there. I can't believe you've seen it so many times. That's cool. So yeah. it's my, I guess it's my turn. I'm right on the last one. Yep. So I, I will uh, round us out on four, four verse one here. I, <laughs> so I really like this movie. And additionally, this is my first time watching it. Um, I think that's actually interesting. I think not because of watching it, but because of now in my life, maybe it means something different than if I had watched it when I was 14 or 17 or even 21. I I really first off aesthetically I think the movie was beautiful and, oh, and I gorgeous. I want to talk about that a little bit because I think I I did a little research on this one because I felt like I should if I'm going to host this episode uh, I shouldn't come into this too blind <laughs> but also um, there's been some criticism of the movie of being a one trick pony of just playing up this kind of aesthetic rigor and expecting that to carry the movie which I I don't agree with but the aesthetics were amazing I mean. The, the use of symmetry. No, I agree with you. The shots make you feel the moment. You can feel the cold, the isolation. Mm. The audio is amazing. Like it is unnerving when it needs to be unnerving. It is comforting when it needs to be comforting. It's like, it's, it's, it's perfect. It's really perfect. I actually liked a lot of the transitions and I think the acting was pretty good. I mean, for such a small cast and this really intimate role, um, you know, that was quirky, but I think that was the point. Um, and Jack Nicholson was like awesome, <laughs> yeah. but I was I was blown away. No, I I agree with you. I loved the maze was real. I loved that the yes. the hotel was real. 
Yeah. Um, mm. it, it didn't feel fake. It felt so authentic. You know, Nick, you said it was slow in the beginning. I actually, I kind of enjoyed the beginning. Like it, it let me get, like kind of let my, let me get my head into the game for a bit. And like, I couldn't, like, I feel like right away he's already like crazy and you just sense it. it's under the water. Um, I get it. And it really, I don't know. I, I haven't liked too many horror movies and I, this movie was, you know, I don't know if this movie was scary, like Hollywood creep you out of your mind, like jump out of you or gore fest, but the fear puts in you is like a human nature fear. Like it's Mm -hmm. like introspective. Um, And if you don't feel that, then you're like, you're not like applying it to your life correctly. I feel like, but um, really powerful movie, probably one of the best movies I've seen in a long time. Mm Mm-hmm. I was really blown away by it. That's but cool. Adeline couldn't watch it with me. She tried for a little bit, and it was too. It was still too creepy for her. I tried so hard to get Jenna. Yeah. I'm like, it's not. It's That's not what scary. I said. And then she started hearing the sounds and seeing like the creepy vibes, and she was like, "Nope, no thanks. <laughs> I'm getting out of here." Jen came in on one of the scenes. I'll, I'll, and which is my favorite scene. So I'll share that later. But she came in and at the scene that I loved in this movie the most, and she sat down and started watching. The naked it. woman. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I understand. I'll come back later on with a couple of sandwiches for you, and maybe you'll let me read something then. Wendy, let me explain something to you. Whenever you come in here and interrupt me, you're breaking my concentration. You're distracting me, and it will then take me time to get back to where I was. Steven, what scene impacted you the most? Our third question. So the scene that Jen came in and sat down and started watching the movie with me was the staircase scene. Where where Jack Nicholson is facing off with uh, what's her name Shelly Shelly Duvall Shelly Duvall Shelly Duvall well, her, name her name's Wendy Wendy the, yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry Winif- Winifred right. where yeah. Wendy goes to the typewriter discovers that he's been typing this one line uh, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy again and again and then he comes and is you know stalking her up the stairs talking about their son um, and. Oh my God. I just like remembered again, like what great acting looks like, what it feels like, you know, just both of them too. It's not just Jack Nicholson. It's also Shelley Duvall. Like they were, uh, they were just like at the top of their game. Like you just believe that this man, this husband has gone fully mad and his wife just has completely lost her shit because her son is apparently being abused. And now she's discovering her husband is going mad in this place. And she's completely isolated, completely alone in her own, you know, in her own fears. So, yeah, that's my pick for the scene that's impacted me the most. It's just absolute, like, classic scene in horror uh, canon. David, what scene impacted you the most? The the blood elevator. And I I just think that scene is so uh, visceral. It's just so much blood. And you're like, your mind says, oh, it's special effects. But the movies put you kind of in this state, like this cat and mouse, where like the house is almost like antagonizing these people. So you like, you almost feel put on edge by like the environment, like this cozy inn. It's supposed to be like this very fancy hotel um, in the mountains. And it's, it's just like, it's not inviting at all. Like it's empty and it's cold. And then you're just down this this hallway and these doors open up and it's like all the all the blood just spills out of these doors. And you're just like, I don't know. I just remember as a teen just being like freaked out about that scene. Yeah, absolutely. I was wondering how they did that. And they had this glass fish tank, custom glass, uh, glass fish tank that they built that was filled to the brim with like corn syrup and red dye, mixed it around. And then they had like this like guillotine like lever that would pull the the one of the walls of glass up as the elevator was opening so that that swish of red blood that comes out he wanted that like kubrick wanted that like done perfectly right so he tested out that tank like apparently dozens and dozens of times to get that swish of blood coming out of the elevator just right yeah and they worked on it for like well over a year i think yeah yeah, yeah, didn't it didn't it take like days to clean in between? Yes. Yeah. Yep. And and did you know he he wasn't there for it? He, he wasn't. Couldn't oh, handle the stress of it, and he didn't attend. He couldn't handle it. Man, wow. man. piggybacking off of Steven's scene, and 
thinking about the movie that we just talked about last week, Sinister, watching that dynamic of like an obsessed husband and like kind of a, a sidelined wife versus Wendy and Jack Torrance, it's like just on like two different levels. Yeah. And it was just that I I wanted a scene like the staircase scene in Sinister and it just never really reached that level. That's actually a really good uh really good uh comparison, Dave. Because they're yeah. almost they're almost kind of like the same uh character yeah. almost. Yeah, you're right. They're yeah. very similar or they're at least supposed to be. Yeah. No, why don't you go unless Nick really is eager to beat you? Nick, do you want to beat me? No, I, I, I'll let you. <laughs> do you want to beat <laughs> me like, like Jack Torrance? Can I go? Can I go? <laughs> <laughs> uh, go ahead. Uh, well, Steven took my scene, which is okay because it's a fantastic scene of like the sta- the fir- the standoff between um, Wendy and Jack on the staircase. I will say to add on to Steven's, one of the lines he says in that movie. Now, one of my favorite lines of all time is, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains in. It encompasses the movie. Like, it's a, like to me, it was about an abusive father. You know, like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains in. That's like, that's like the, you know, the push and pull of an abusive relationship where one second they're loving you and one second they're hurting you. Mm. So I just, I just, mm, I just love that line so much. But I'm just going to, I'll, I'll do a short scene. I just wanted to add that on to Stevens because he took mine. But, when the kid is doing his bicycling, his uh, whatever that thing is, tricycle, tricycling yeah. around the hotel for the first time, and you're and the camera is just following him behind for those long, long takes. It was just, it was creepy. Yeah, it just threw me right in into the movie. I felt like I was wandering a hotel with him, like a huge abandoned. Has everyone ever like wandered a hotel when it felt abandoned? Like a huge empty space. As somebody you know who's worked at a hotel overnight, uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Isn't it? Isn't it terrifying, Nick? Yeah, it is. Uh, it's not the greatest feeling. Nick, why don't you tell us about the scene that impacted you the most? Uh, the scene that impacted me the most was when he met Grady in the bathroom, and that entire that entire scene of them conversing. He like how he was like he knew who he was. Um, and he was like, oh, but I've never been the caretaker. You've always been the caretaker. Um, and then he was just like, oh, like my, I had children who didn't like being at the hotel. I corrected them. And then my wife tried to stop me. So I corrected her too. So I think you need to correct your family. And like, to me, I loved that moment just because that was, in my opinion, like that was the descent in the madness. Like that was the point of no return. Well, that's a good scene, Nick. Um, so I will say first that I I feel like this movie is actually very dense and probably requires multiple watches um, to really appreciate it. But I could still appreciate it on the first glance. With that said, I think the one that got me was was kind of before the bat scene, before the stare. Um, kind of that was that was an amazing like climax, right? Mm-hmm. But before that, I think the one that got me first was watching his early descent into this. It was like a lessons learned for me. You know, I felt very able to connect with this guy, not because I feel crazy, but because, you know, I'm a dad and I have a son and a wife and I want to take care of them. And at first you think maybe he's authentic about that. You know the story, but you don't, you don't know how he gets there. So at first I'm watching and then I see him like, then I forget exactly where they're located, but she comes in to interrupt him. And he like snaps at her. I think he says something like, every time you come in here, I don't get anything done. And he starts, he starts really degrading her in like a really dark way. Um, and you start seeing, like, I think you start seeing the darkness beneath the skin, which you, you hadn't seen a lot of it yet. You kind of could, you heard it was there. You heard the stories about him hurting his son and like, you know, it was his arm. And so you knew something was going on. Like he, he, um, you know, he wasn't a teacher anymore. Like there was a clue that there was problems with his life, but like that was the first time you saw it come out. And it like shook me for a minute. I felt like a lot of empathy, like, oh, I don't want to be like that. Like, I don't want to snap at people. Like I, you know, I have a tendency to be hot and reactive. And like, I'm sure I've done that to people where I like react like, hey, you're in my way. Or, And I was like a lesson learned for me. Like, I don't want to end up as Jack Torrance. Okay. I'm not going down that path. Like I, I get it. I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to treat people like that. And it kind of like really pulled me into the movie. 
because I just, I wanted to see his story. Does he redeem himself? What, what happens? And like, I really felt for the mom and son. Like I, I, my heart was torn up the whole time, especially for the boy. I was like, this, this is awful. Like locked in a, locked in a hotel for five months in the dead of winter with no social life. That's also a terrible parenting move. But additionally, like clearly you have an abusive father and you have a boy who's like been damaged and it was just hard to watch that. Like, I think that really softened me up, but that was the scene. And I think it's cause I empathize with the idea of, of wanting to be a good dad. And he was not a good dad. Do you know that uh, Jack Nicholson actually wrote that scene for the movie? Did he? Yeah, he wrote that scene and he based it off of real life pressures he felt when he was going through his divorce. So that's interesting because I also I also did a little research that Stephen King originally wrote the novel as almost autobiographical about his own struggles with uh, alcoholism and uh, you know abuse and anger um, with his own kids, and it was almost a way to represent it and like tell a story about it. Um, which is maybe why he's been so reactive to Kubrick's version because yeah. it's actually his own story, which we can also we can get into now. jump into our debate question which tonight is who do you agree with more on what is the best portrayal of jack stephen king jack should be quote-unquote possessed by external forces or stanley kubrick the director of the film which is jack should be obsessed which is more of an internal force yeah just to just expound on that a little you know how stephen king infamously doesn't like this movie this this version of his story mm-hmm. is because they had a fundamental disagreement about Jack's character where it makes sense now that Johnny mentioned that The Shining was autobiographical because um, Stephen King always saw Jack as influenced by external forces and that's why he becomes bad. So AKA possessed, yeah. he becomes possessed by the hotel. Whereas Stanley Kubrick's version, Jack has always been that way. I see. I, I struggle with this one, honestly. Like, I understand Kubrick's view of seeing an irredeemable man. You know, like, like I'm sure people that, ha- that have been that have had abusive fathers. You know, they want them to be redeemed, but they never are. And I think that might be more of the realistic portrayal, and maybe better services the audience in the movie of of Jack's always been obsessed. He's always been awful Mm. but at the same time i i want to believe stephen king's version like i want to believe that jack can be redeemed that the hotel that you know for for example just alcohol alcohol makes you a monster you know like that's that's your that's your blame you can point to the problem where it's not an internal thing i don't know i i really struggle with the with the question of I don't know who I agree with more. When he was in the bar talking to Lloyd for the first time and he was sitting there legitimately angry being like, you know, because like Wendy had accused him of abusing the of abusing Danny when he hadn't touched Danny at all. So they revisit that. So when he's sitting there talking with Lloyd, he was just like, I've never laid a hand on him. He was like, it was just a mistake that, you know, like, you know, like I just didn't check my strength. And I think that really plays into the fact that there are moments where you can do something and not that you're innocent, um, you do something and you immediately you immediately regret it, but the world is just like, no, this is the kind of person you are now. And you're like, no, I'm not. But the world just keeps beating that down on you. But there's, I want to jump in, in Nick, because I think it's a really good point you made. And I think there's, there's both irony and maybe a little more to the story for that one specifically, which is part of this whole narrative. Like you see Jack's side of it and he says that to Lloyd. He believes that. But there's a subtle, there's a subtext throughout the movie that Jack is sexually abusing Danny, that they don't talk about. All you hear about is the arm, um, but there's there's a consistent theme, which is the teddy bears. Which, if you watch the scenes with Danny, they keep flashing. And then there's the scene where the teddy bear is giving the blowjob to the guy at the, the top. Was of the it park. a teddy bear or a dog? It, it's, a, it's a bear costume. Yeah, it's supposed okay. to be a bear costume. And and so the, oh, I didn't I didn't catch that. Yeah, yeah. So. 
I mean, I had to do a little digging because I was so confused by the bear. And it, you look back at the scenes and there's a consistent bear theme with the, with Danny throughout the movie. He has bears in all these scenes. And so there's like a subtext that if you're paying attention, like his abuse is not just the arm. Like it's much deeper. And I think that's the point is that this movie just laid it on the surface. And so that you could see it kind of boil over, but it actually has deep, dark roots. Well, there's mm. there's also a scene. It's the scene where Jack Torrance is reading a magazine pause the scene and look at the magazine it's a, a playgirl which is naked men instead of mm. naked well, women and supposedly this is the lore i don't i don't know how, i haven't vetted this but that specific issue he's reading had a has like a big article about incest yeah. so like there was like a easter egg that's why i say this movie i think has so much more you could get from wow. it the more you watch and learn about it it kind of gives me chills, though. But that's why yeah. this movie, yeah, I, in, I didn't even... in retrospect, this movie hit me even harder because I'm like, wow, like, how twisted is that? I would I would say the character Jack Torrance kind of has a foot in both camps from Kubrick and King. Because I would say his obsession leads to his possession. Like, he's being possessed by this kind of... Like, he's opened the door for them? Uh, no, no, no. He's his his obsession is is like he he wants something better uh, than the life that he's crafted for himself, you know. And yeah. so he's being possessed by this feeling of like, oh, I'm going to be this this great writer if I could only have five months to work on a, a this 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 writing project or uh, i'll be this great person if i didn't have my my wife or my son always getting in the way or you know mm -hmm. like I, th I think his obsession is leading like he's being possessed by his obsession and i would I, I would argue though that that would mean that he's always been that way right exactly so for well, me I, well it's also it's like the it's it's also the his his surroundings kind of amplify that right but he's so, put, he's he's put in the, he's put in an area of stress where he's now this overlooker of this of this huge hotel and he has all this importance which is so, kind of weird because it's like he has no background in it at all my my take on this question is that he's obsessed and the reason why I lean towards that direction is because I really believe I'm in Jack. Writer. <laughs> <laughs> I really believe in Jack's agency and like the fact that he can make these decisions for himself and he's been making them for a very long time. So like when you talk about abuse and his son, like he's deliberately choosing to do that, right? He's choosing to inflict violence on another person. Like so the two scenes that come to mind for me that really convinced me of this is the bar scene where he's like, how much does it cost for a drink? And he's like, oh, no, you've, you know, it's on, it's on us, right? And Jack chooses to drink, right? To me, that interaction with the bartender was kind of him selling his soul for a drink after what oh, was it, yeah. five months or five years. That was another fun little... Five months. Like, well, he says, I'll give my soul says, for a says, beer. Yeah, well, he says, I, I'd sell my soul for a beer, but he also says, like, I haven't had a drink in five years. Whereas no, I, I think five it was months. five months. Five months. Five months. I, I wrote I it. I wrote it down because I was like, "That's not very long." Five months was the uh, the incident, I think. No, yeah, yeah. since no, the, yeah, since you've the been arm. you've been sober for that many months. Maybe since maybe the I listened incident. to it wrong. Yeah, but but anyways, I think that you know that scene along with the scene where the caretaker, the former caretaker, who ended up killing his wife and twin daughters and stacking their bodies, and he's telling Jack. I corrected them. He's not possessing Jack and telling him it has to be this way. He's just telling him like it is what he did and allows Jack to come to his own deliberation and arrive at his own conclusions and then go forward with whatever he sees fit to do. But, but you could argue that not that I am, but you could argue that that was a haunted house that was telling him he had to do that. Like it was convincing him. He said, I don't know if you have the guts to do it. I don't know if you can do it. Like it's taunting him. I don't know. That's not totally. It's, it's being antagonistic. It's taunting him, but they literally give him a choice. When yeah. he's stuck in the freezer, they say, yeah, yeah, yeah. "Can you get? Can you get this done?" You know, they basically they're not they're not antagonizing. They're just yeah, saying, "Can I mean, you do this?" But but I mean, 
but what is possession then? Do you think possession is like you have no control? Like possession, possession think... is literally an ex- an external force. So like yeah. al- like he puts alcohol into his body, you become shrunk, you beat your your child. So you like in the does cure? He, does he like not kind of, need the alcohol? Does he like not need alcohol? Picking on the cure idea of like the hypnosis is just releasing yeah. your evilest self. Well, it's like it's like nature versus nurture, right? Like nature. He's always been an abuser. Nurture, like David said, these ex- the 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 house forces him to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, like it to me, the whole movie he's been like this kind of a jerk. You know, like he's even in awful. the car, he, he like he hurt his kid, and there's the there's the hints of sexual abuse that I didn't know about, which is chilling. But you know, when he's even when he calls his wife to tell him. Tell her that he got the job. Wasn't that weird for anyone? Yeah, like he doesn't go, I, I got the job. I, like he was like, he was so matter of fact, like so cold with her. And then yeah. on the car ride over, he was like, that's what you watch from television. Like he was so condescending with his kid. Well, it's like somebody who was like exhausted by his family. Like he couldn't care less that he had a family. But he has nothing else in life. Like that's the weird thing. He's like he's just a miserable human. Well, that's the thing. That's what I mean. He was being he was getting obsessed and kind of possessed with this idea of he can be something better if he didn't have this family that he's created. He's made the choice to make a family, but now he feels I, trapped by I the do family. Think, David, that we have to differentiate. Like Noah did a good job of it. We have to differentiate the idea of obsession versus possession because it's easy for me to to like overlap it to. I think obsession is deliberately like someone like acting on their desires, right? Acting on their inclinations. Whereas possession is like you're forced kind of against your own will, and you that movie depicts. Oh, that's that true. Struggle. That's true. Like yeah, there that's true. Doesn't seem to be a struggle in Jack like to like fight well, against. It seems like he he's willing out. to hurt. He's willing to harm. Just how far will he go? I, yeah. I, I want. I kind of want to ask Stephen though. Who do you agree with more, Stephen King or Stanley Kubrick, on what is the best portrayal of, you know, that of that, you know, of abuse? I, yeah. Of basically abuse is probably what the movie is ma- mainly about. But well, if if I'll jump, can I jump in? Sorry. Yeah, I'm yeah. Stephen today. So. <laughs> Uh, Stephen can follow up on on this. Yeah, I'm sure his will be more eloquent. You know, the book has a different ending than the movie, and the book supposedly what happens in the book is Jack ignored the boiler for too long, and the hotel explodes. Um, but he tells Wendy and Danny to get out while he's trying to fix it. So he actually redeems himself in the book, and the, mo- the movie takes a different to- approach, which I think was big controversy. But I think that um, as a lessons learned, as a story impact, I think for Jack Torrance, if you if his purpose as a character is to deliver a message, I think the better message is the obsessed message. Because, like I said, I empathize with it, and to me, it was like a tale of caution almost, and in, in yeah. the most dramatic sense. But it was a, a beautiful reminder that you know there's fragility to the lives people in your lives. And, you know, your obsession with whatever it is will destroy you and your family. And, and you could take that message away. And I think without that, you can convince yourself you're not a problem. Yeah. Do you think it's a lesser impact if Jack is redeemed in the end? Yeah. And it I, was I, all the hotel's fault? Like the hotel I, yeah. burns down and he's fine? I really I really think it depends on the on the, the buildup to that because, you know, redemption can be one of the most powerful things in a story. Um, you, you can – you can give hope to someone who is in a similar situation of how they can do that. Um, but I actually think in this case, because of the nature of, of the issues, which is abuse and violence and, and that kind of um, harassment of people in his life that he's meant to take care of, I think the better ending is the tragic one, uh, more as the cautionary tale is more powerful. Yeah, I think this movie, by the end of it, you're supposed to be rooting for, for Wendy. She's supposed to have like, I was rooting for Danny. (laughs) Well, like Danny and Wendy, like they, they, well, yeah, they're the victims, but they escape this, yeah, 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 this abusive relationship. Should he have been redeemed, though? Sorry, Stephen, we keep cutting you off. You go, Stephen. Let me go again. (laughs) (laughs) 
I, I do think that at the end of the day, the movie thrives because of Kubrick's depiction. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of, yeah, that's like the period at the end of the sentence for me. Because, like, it's... The reason why I say that is because it gives Jack way more agency as a character than being possessed by a house and being forced to do these things against his will. And like this abuse yeah. has been happening way before he even visited the Overlook Hotel. And just one little thing that I want to add, right? I know that we all went around and said, like, what do we think the movie's about? And I said the cycle of violence. In the beginning of the movie, he's the 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 hotel owner was giving Jack the tour and said this hotel was built on a Indian burial ground. And then throughout the movie, you saw those cans in the kitchen that had the Indian mm-hmm. depicted as a redskin, which is a racist depiction of them. Um, it, I think just like these little subtle things, right? Like Johnny was talking about the bears, but in this case, that's what I picked up on. And to me, the reason why I relate that to the cycle of violence is like, someone is deliberately choosing to hurt another group of people. In this case, it was about, you know, the people who colonized America, driving out the Indians, pushing them out of their lands, and then settling, doing the most disrespectful thing by building a building on top of their ancestors' graveyard, right? And then uh, decorating it with their... uh, Right, exactly. With, like, American versions of of Native American paraphernalia. And that's all deliberate right those were actions that were taken by men who decided to do that in you know in because they wanted to do something great for their country and because of that like i kind of take that idea and relate it back to jack and agree with kubrick's depiction of jack like the obsession the the taking of you know of one's land or like just doing harm against another person deliberately because of one's will and accord. Like that seems to me to be a more convincing portrayal of a character than someone who's possessed. Well, the, the possession route is not even almost human. Like, you know, it's being possessed is something almost supernatural. It's something that's like the ultimate fear, but does it happen frequently? Um, Not really. It's hard to relate to possession. I feel like. Yeah. That that's another that's not a human condition. Like human condition is there is a will, right? Like we all right. we all agree that. I think what's really tragic and almost like a prod is that is you know are are those who are damned you know too far gone to help? Like that's the scary thing. Like he couldn't help himself. Granted, it didn't look like he was trying. Um, he almost maybe well, the, maybe the act of going to the hotel was already him giving up because see I I kind of I mean I I agree and I disagree so for instance the ending scene where the photo of Jack it re, it's revealed that Jack was in you know the Fourth of July ball in like 1921 so he was at the hotel before and this is a you know whatever version of him to me what Kubik's trying to say is that he's always been this way he's always been a part of the hotel he's always been an abuser he's always been a part of the cycle of violence you know what i kind of took that as uh you know like a yearbook at the end of the year you get one and it's photographs of all the people at the school right to me the way i interpreted the photo was a little bit different it was like oh like you know jack lived up to the overlook hotel's expectations you know and i know that there's different ways i completely agree with the idea of like him being reincarnated or like there are completely different ways to take that photo and that. Yeah. Lesson. It makes but sense me, with the scene in the bathroom, Steven. That's a good point. Yeah. Like this me, could, this like, could have been the, this could have been his life or the locker scene, right? When they, unlock it, they like, they unlock it because he's going to, he's going to prove it. But the thing is he doesn't fall through. Right. I see. I don't, I don't think he had to prove himself because he said, you are, you are the caretaker. You've always been the caretaker. Yeah. Well, the thing you is, I, I would agree with you, Steven, if he actually killed them, but he doesn't. He doesn't. He yeah. did a bad job, Stephen. He, he froze. Kind of. He kind of effed up. He froze to death. He didn't even kill the mother. He killed the poor guy that came to help them. Ah! <laughs> right to the chest. What? Oh, what a weird build up. <laughs> no, the best is the montage of him getting there. 
Yeah, like, right? yeah. <laughs> just like keep counting to him, like doing his like hardest to like he rents a mo- his snowmobile to get there, and he like <laughs> drives like three hours. Then he shows up. That was the comedic relief. That was amazing. Right. It was like, it oh, such good payoff. It was, and it. you needed that relief because it was getting really heavy. It, it's hard to get through that movie without feeling a burden on your heart. Like, as yeah. a person that has any type of empathy, like, it's yeah. hard to watch that. Like, you needed a little comedic humor of like someone doing this whole thing and then just like, bop, you did. <laughs> Does everyone agree that Kubrick's version is the better version of Jack? Well, it's hard, though. We haven't read the novel, hard, right? Yeah, I was going to say, it's hard more... to say after not reading, the, after not giving the other one a well, shot. Well, just, let's just summarize it's... it as he's redeemed at the end of, of yeah. Stephen King's, and he's not redeemed at the end of, of Kubrick's. So what I, do you agree with? I think the more healthy interpretation is Kubrick's interpretation. What do you mean, That's healthy? Yeah, I was, that, I was that, that, that sometimes... No ma- even if it's a family member, sometimes abuse is just abuse, and you need to get out of that relationship. Mm. Well, that's a good so, way. You, you can't you can't wait yeah, for yeah, somebody like Wendy's a character who is the obvious like the abused wife syndrome, like always giving Jack another shot, always forgiving Jack for very all submissive. his yeah, very submissive, very very pattern of an abusive relationship. Yeah. And it, it's not until the end where she takes the baseball bat and she's like, you got to stay away from me. And, you know, she escapes the hotel with her son and she escapes that cycle. So I think. Did anyone notice that when the doctor came to the house in the beginning of the movie and the doctor asked, she was like, oh, like, has your son gone through any trauma? And when the doctor asks that, when Wendy tries to answer, that's when she, A, lights up a cigarette, and cigarettes are supposed to be stress-reducing for people who do smoke. And as she was lighting it, I don't know if anyone noticed, but her hands were, like, trembling. Like, she couldn't even light the cigarette. Yeah. Because, like, she's just like, oh, well, Jack just, uh, he, you know. And then she she made an excuse, like, oh, you know how these things go, you know. And and then you you could look back at the clothes that she wears. She always wears, like... She covers all of her arms. She covers bruises. her legs, bruises. You know, like she's yeah, wearing she wears oversized turtleneck. clothes. Yeah, turtleneck. She's she's layered like the movie is. Mm-hmm. So I I think Dude. I think Kubrick's ending is the healthiest in that. So it, you're I, saying it's better. I'm saying it. I'm saying it's better that okay. they escape that scenario. And okay. I really like it, Noah. I really like the tale, and I I actually think it's. Like for me, it means a lot that that's how it ended. That they escaped and the cycle was mm-hmm. broken by his his inability to, you know, he died trying to kill them and they escaped it and they were able to escape that. And it's a lesson learned that you you know that's a path to death. But yeah. I will say, while I do think the possession narrative as like an external force, you know, affected your life to do these things. You know, it's a cop out a little bit. It's almost like you can't take responsibility because other things affected you. But I will, I will say is that ending of, of finding some humanity to redeem yourself is an ultimate goal because the reality is we all, whether or not, I don't think any of us or most men are as abusive as this guy, but any human has an ability to abuse someone, whether even if it's rarely or common. And it would be nice to not feel like if you're on that path, like the horror movie part of it to me is that he is not redeemed. You know, like mm-hmm. we all have that tendency and it would it would have been a better story for humanity if he could have been redeemed because okay. it's horrible. It's a horror that he is not, in my opinion. But I mean, do you get to keep do you get to keep the family that you abused? No, you, you need you need. it's not, you know, if if we were all to be thrown out for our faults, we would all be thrown out like everyone has faults. I, I I know what you're saying, David. I think his abuses were too extreme. But the point is that there should be there should be a redemption available. I think that would be the ultimate story. But I do really like this version because I think the cautionary tale is more powerful. Really. All right. Let's circle back to that. Um, so you're saying if you had Stephen King's script, which he wrote a script for this movie, and Stanley Kubrick's script in front of you, you would pick Stanley Kubrick's script. But yeah, you'd feel you would feel I, I, bad yeah, about for, throwing out for, Stephen for the, King's script. For the horror genre, yes. For the horror genre, yes. Okay. I think, okay, I think the other another version of The Shining could be a drama. Okay. Nick, same like, uh, question. Stephen King actually did remake The Shining. 
Yeah, it was horrible. Yeah, Nick- and it was, <laughs> everybody like laughed at it. But it was the '90s miniseries, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was another bad. miniseries like it. Yeah, let's not, bring, let's not bring up harsh harsh memories for him. <laughs> Nick, Nick, if you have you have Stephen King's script in front of you and you have Stanley Kubrick's, which are you picking? Does Jack get redeemed, or does he freeze to death in the maze? Trying Noah's to so son? intent on this; he wants us all to move for Kubrick's script. <laughs> no, I actually, actually, is he paying me for this? Well, I have a point. I have a point. I have a. I have a point. All right, all right, all right. Um, because because I know our original question was obsessed or possessed, and I thought we were all going to pick obsessed because it was obvious to me that that's what Stanley Kubrick was trying to say. So I, I'm curious to know what people are picking. Um, it's hard. This I, I was going over this question so long, and like even like leading up to the, the conversation, I was just like, which side do I really choose? And like like John said, like you know, like you want the option that he can be redeemed because every you know everyone falls short, and everyone should have some level of redemption in their life, um, even when things are very extreme. So like, but like the you know, no one is going to force you to pick what he wants you to pick. No, no, not at all. Because <laughs> um, I feel like you're all begrudgingly picking the one that you know is. I don't know. I'm just. It's very interesting. Go ahead, Nick. The studio executives are breathing down your neck. Hurry up. They want you to pick a script. In terms of what external forces make you do things. In terms of the movie, you need to go with uh, Kubrick, Kubrick's version, I think. I, I would say it like this, Noah. I think if you, you want a horror film, you have to pick Kubrick's version. Yeah. You want a drama, that's so not true, guys. Come on. The Babadook, the mother is redeemed at the mo- at the end, and that's a horror movie. I, I do think that that sinking feeling in your, your point. gut. That's a good point. That, you know, that like the Babadook is a beautiful film, and I think, in some I, ways, I, I consider it more a family drama sometimes more than horror. In other ways, yeah, again, but in terms of the Babadook, it was an unfortunate situation that befell the mother that turned her into that, as opposed to yeah. Jack, who was always kind of just a jerk who got yeah. who, who got too much. Like he got things he didn't deserve. Like he was yeah, a jerk. Or did he deserve the family? That you're basing that off of Kubrick's version. Stephen King's version would have been he would have the alcohol would have drove him to do it or something horrible and he would have lost his job. It would have not been Jack's fault as much as Stanley Kubrick made it seem. That's true. Nick, I have a gun to your head. Pick one. <laughs> I think he picked a Stanley Kubrick one. Yeah, I, right. I, I think I, the Kubrick one. Would we're be waiting better. for Steve. We're waiting yeah, for exactly. Stephen. You know me. I think we keep I, cutting I Stephen prefer, off. I always Stephen, prefer... we have two guns to your head now. <laughs> I always like movies that have the guts to depict the world as it is, you know. So I pick Kubrick's version. Like the I, world I, as I, it is, I, I think the world that it is. Well, that's my point. That is well, my ultimate think, point, guys. What? Is that we all pick Stanley Kubrick's version because we believe that's the world as it is. I don't know. We if believe that's true. that the we believe Whoa. that the abuser will never be redeemed. Like, isn't that the most bleak bleak thing you can think of? That is the most horror thing we've ever talked about in this podcast, I think. No, I think I think it still matters. I think it matters what you're saying. Like, if it's going to be a horror, if you're trying to horrify people, you pick Kubrick because it makes a lot of sense. If you want to take away their hope, if you want to leave them stunned and, and scare their life out of them, that is horror perfectly. I think that's why it's so successful. But if you want it to be a, a, a story about redemption and drama, which it could be a, a, a skeleton for, you you wouldn't pick that. So it just depends on what the outcome is. If you want to horrify someone, pick Kubrick's. I think him dying in the maze is a metaphor for him getting lost. And well, no, yeah. he gets lost yeah. he gets lost within the obsession or possession, and he's not gonna find his way out. You know, he's following his son's footsteps. And then his foot, his son cleverly, you know, takes away his footsteps, and then he he has no, he gets lost. Yeah, and he, he freezes. He, and in he the freezes. Beth, that's the Beth's death scene of all time. Oh yeah, that face that he pulls, <laughs> that face that he pulls is, is priceless. I mean, did did he pose for that? That was amazing photo. Yeah. It, was, oh, it was amazing. It was, I think he did pose for it. it definitely like, that's wasn't amazing. Like, that like, how do you get a face like that to be that? <laughs> right. Perfect? I just think it's interesting that we all chose Kubrick's side. Yeah, I know. I get that. I I think you I think you do choose his side because his side relays the deep horror of of human yeah. evil. 
Yeah. Just I feel like Steven wants to say something. Who, who, yeah, is someone saying something? <laughs> <laughs> Lay it on I'm us, not Steven. Enjoy it when you host, Johnny. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, Noah's um, basically hosted half the podcast. What are you talking no, about? Just, just a debate. That's all. <laughs> I think I think we look for like um, like a holistic like depiction of like the subject at hand, like abuse, right? You want a tidy ending rather than providing us with a solution, right? This is how you fix things in society. This is how, you know, this is, I'm going to get on my soapbox and preach to you about how to mm-hmm. make the world a better place. He's going to, he's more interested in depicting the world as it is. Noah, have you explained what you want? What? Um, I think he did. I would I would pick Kubik's script, but I'd feel really, really, really bad throwing out Stephen King's script. <laughs> Danny! Danny boy! Danny! Danny! Hey! So let's move to the last question, which is, would you recommend it? And remember, uh, we usually do uh, to our listeners and then to a general audience. Uh, today, we will miss, uh, we will skip our special guest recommendation, Martin. which Martin's is uh, Marty. Marty. <laughs> I think he's already seen it. Yeah. Are you going to recommend it to Stephen King? <laughs> <laughs> I think we can all say yes. Uh, so, um, Noah, would you recommend it? I will definitely recommend it to the listener. I think it's a great movie, and it and it deserves to be on all those top horror lists. Uh, to uh, the general audience, I I probably will say no because I think it's uh it's it's I don't know. there's a lot of long shots there's a lot of having to think there's a lot of hopelessness people that would go see it in the theater i don't know if they would a lot of them would probably come out going "Eh, i didn't like it you know so i'm gonna say no general audience yes listener all right uh david would you recommend it i would uh recommend this movie uh, 110 percent to I think to people who like horror or want to get into horror and have only seen like contemporary horror movies, like say like if Saw is your like cup of tea, I think you need to see The Shining to understand dramatic terror and like what, uh, you know, forgo forgo, uh, props and um, CG and like, all that stuff just what can a few actors in a space do and what kind of like emotion and terror that can elicit Mm. and to the general audience i mean i think this is probably one of the most well-crafted movies i've seen and if you're willing to to sit through like a two and a half hour movie with a lot of long shots and a lot of tension i I think it's well worth your time. Steven, would you recommend this movie? Yeah, I'll keep it quick. Um, I recommend this movie to everyone, um, especially the general audience. I think that the reason why I recommend it to them is because if you want to see a movie uh, that plays at the top of the game in terms of its own genre is made um, in the way that I feel like films should be made, you know, um, with hand, like loving hands and just, has so much to say about the world around us this is a movie for you it's going to be challenging uh, but i feel like people should open themselves up to be challenged on a day-to-day basis so cool recommend this well said nick would you recommend this movie um to the to our audience yeah uh there's a lot of things you could take out of this movie like steven said um a whole group of people could watch this movie and everyone would take away something different and would have a different opinion and it could lead to discussions for hours, days, you know, like everyone could get something out of this. And I think that's something our audience would really enjoy. Um, I think, I guess, uh, the general audience outside of our podcast, um, I don't think they'd enjoy it as much. Again, like I said, this movie takes, 
to me, this movie takes a long time to get started, and I feel like that would be noticeable, especially now if people don't really have long attention uh, an attention span for a two and a half hour movie. Um, but they'll watch five episodes of a TV show. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, I don't. I wouldn't recommend it to the general audience. Um. Because I feel like, like Noah said, people would be looking, uh, for the hype to match reality. Um. And a lot of people might not find that. Thanks, Nick. I say I'm last, so I would recommend it to our listeners for all the reasons stated before me, and I would also recommend it to the general public if you're open to long movies from 1980. I, I think it's I think it's a great film, like David said, in general. So if, if it's a film that you're willing to be open-minded as a general viewer, then yes. And for our listeners, go watch The Shining. All right. I think that concludes our episode. This has been The Spooky Screen. Johnny.